Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let's pray together. Just, just remembering the glory of the Lord. Father, we praise your name. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We bow down and worship, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Thank you for who you are, for what you've done. We praise your name for these salvations this morning and baptism, Father. The excitement of these new lives, Father, in Christ, Lord, as they grow and understand more and more about you, Father. I pray that, that thousands more would be saved, Father, in this place because of your faithfulness, because of your glory, because of your holiness, Father. We praise your name. We praise your holy name, Father. Thank you for this opportunity to worship. Thank you for this opportunity to sing, to praise your name, Father. Thank you for this opportunity to give back now in a time of offering. Father, I pray you'd lead us to give joyfully, excitedly, Father, with a grateful heart. And whatever we choose to give, use it for the sake of your kingdom. And we'll praise your name for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Be seated. We'll invite our ushers down and we'll continue together in tithes and worship. Hi, my name is Joe and welcome to Rosemont. We're so excited to have you here. We have a lot of things coming up on our calendar and we'd like you to be a part of them. Today, immediately after the 11 o'clock service in the fellowship hall, there'll be a quick meeting for anybody interested in volunteering at Camp Iowa this summer. This afternoon we'll have our Connect Luncheon for anybody that's been coming and is interested in learning more about our church and getting to know our staff. The luncheon is at the pastor's house and we'd love to have you there. Please come to the Connect Desk after the 11 o'clock service to get further instructions. The new members class begins next Sunday. If you're interested in learning more about this, please stop by the Connect Desk after your service. The security team needs more volunteers. If you're interested in helping serve in this role, Please see Joseph Dowden after your service. To help traffic flow in the new facilities, we ask that you please exit at the front of the worship center down by the stage, especially if you're going to be headed to adult Sunday school classes or the children's area. This will help with transition between one service to the next. If this is your first time visiting with us, we're happy to have you here. If you'd like to know more information about our church, please stop by the Connect Desk after the service or speak to one of our Connect team members and they can get you more information. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we thank you again for another opportunity just to uh, worship you, Father, now to study your word. Just an incredible time of offering, Father, and excitement with baptism, Lord, and all that's happening here at our church. We, we want to open your word now, Father, hear from you. I pray you just speak very clearly through me, Father. I pray I would, I would set aside any of my own personal thoughts and desires and instead be filled with your spirit, Father, to convey properly your word so it can convict and, and challenge us, Father, as we hear and study. Father, use us to do great things. And as we pray every Sunday morning, Father, may we be transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. A couple of very quick things before we delve in as you're finding Mark chapter 9. Every Easter, we do the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. 
Lottie Moon at Christmas, everything that you give, 100% goes towards international missions. At Easter, Annie Armstrong, everything you give goes towards North American missions. And so we'll be talking more and more about that over the next several weeks. You have an opportunity to give towards that. We'd love for you to be a part of that. I help our missionaries here in North America. And also our Connect Lunch. And if you're new, uh, visiting with us, a guest with us, we'd love to have you at my house today for lunch. Won't cost you anything. You just show up at my house and eat and fellowship. You can get to know our team a little bit more and ask questions about our church. If you're interested in that, as soon as the 11 o'clock service is over, go right out to our Connect desk. There'll be somebody out there to meet you, can give you directions and explain to you more about what we're doing. Love to have you part of that. And Pam, can you put my clock up for me, please, so I'll know exactly when I need to be done so you guys can get out on time, okay? All right, Mark chapter 9. We're excited to be back into Mark to think about all that the Lord is doing, to think about the ministry of Christ. And just a very quick to remind you, because it's been a few weeks, Jesus has done incredible miracles. He's walked on the water. He's fed thousands of people. Lots of people had followed him. Great things have been happening. And then in Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to read this to you, and you can flip back in your Bibles if you'd like to. And by the way, we have a pew Bible for you. You can pull that out if you want to. If you didn't bring yours with you, we'd love for you to follow along with us. Mark chapter 8, something different happens, right? We've kind of been rocking along with Jesus. He's been doing these great things. People have been following him. And all of a sudden in Mark chapter 8, really the, kind of the direction and, and the purpose, as Jesus explains why he's here, begins to change in the hearts and the minds of the disciples. Here's what happens. Mark chapter 8, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. And he asked Peter, Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter gives him several different answers. And then Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 8, 29, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now skip down a few verses to verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, I want you to understand the context. This is important. We're going to come back to this in just a few minutes, right? These disciples had been following Jesus now. They had seen Jesus do incredible things. They had witnessed him walk on water. They had witnessed him feed thousands of people, heal people. All of a sudden, when things are going great in their mind, Jesus is going to kind of pivot a little bit on them. He's going to say, listen, my calling is to walk to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested, crucified, buried. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. And if you're serious about following me, Jesus said, you've got to be willing to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Now, you can just imagine how that must have affected the disciples. You can just imagine, I just kind of put myself in their place. Their, their heads must have been spinning, right? What does this mean? What is he talking about? Go to Jerusalem. In fact, if you were to go back and read through Mark chapter 8, Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uneasiness. They're uncertain. They're not quite sure what's going on. They're confused. And now let's jump right in with all that in mind, Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus said to them, and this is interesting, let me just tell you, this is a side note, right? This is interesting to me. This is just a little biblical interpretation lesson, right? Here's your two-minute biblical interpretation lesson for the morning. When the scriptures were interpreted from the original Greek into various other languages, English is one, the transitions between the verses and between the chapters were added in by the translator, okay? 
So when this was originally written, Mark didn't say, okay, this is chapter 8, we're done with chapter 8, now we're going to be in chapter 9. In fact, if you were to look at the original Greek manuscripts, it's just one long string of letters. There's no breaks even with sentences. And so when we break in chapters, this was what uh, an interpreter, someone that translated this several hundred years ago, decided to do. And so really, Mark chapter 9 verse 1 goes better with the end of chapter 8 But because it's been divided up, like we're going to read it as Mark chapter 9, verse 1. But when he speaks to them in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, he's referring to what he just said in chapter 8, okay? So he says, he said to them, truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power, right? He's referring back to what he just said in Mark chapter 8. Now, the break comes at verse 2 of Mark chapter 9, because look what he says. After six days, right, so six days later, six days now the disciples have had an opportunity to discuss this, to think about it, to try to understand what Jesus is talking about, take up our cross, deny ourselves, arrest, crucifixion, rise from there. You can imagine the conversations that are swirling within the ranks of the disciples, right? Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Verse 6, this is why we love Peter. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened, right? So he just made something up. He doesn't really know what to say. He's scared. Let's put some tents up. Verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Here's the confusion again. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Now, I want to kind of delve into this. This is such a rich part of of, of the gospel. Uh, I, I literally had so much stuff I had to cut out for time's sake. There's so much we could say about this. There's so many things we could explain about this transfiguration, what it meant to Jesus, what it meant to his disciples, what it means to us today. But I've kind of, I think, whittled it down to the main ideas and and the main points, and I'm going to give you those this morning, and then I want to try to figure out how to apply this to your life. So here's the first truth I want you to see, number one. The transfiguration of Christ reminds us that we are to be transformed into his image. The transfiguration of Christ reminds us that we are to be transformed into his image. Now, there's nothing in Mark 9 that talks about us. There's nothing in Mark 9 that says we're to be transformed, but there's a connection we're going to make here. I want you to see it yourselves. Now, the word transfigure is an interesting word. It basically means we're going to change from one thing into another. Right? The idea of a butterfly. We know the story of a butterfly. A caterpillar goes into the cocoon, and however long later comes out something different. Right? It's changed. It's transformed into a butterfly. The interesting thing about this word, this exact word in the original Greek, it's only used four times. Four times in all of the Bible, this word is used. Now, it's used once here in Mark chapter 9. It's used again in Mark chapter 17, which is another story of the the transfiguration of Christ. Same word. Luke tells the story of the transfiguration of Christ, but he doesn't use this actual word. Interesting. So two times when we talk about the transfiguration. And then it's used again in Romans chapter 12, 
2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I want you to understand this is important. The same word that speaks of Christ and his transfiguration, that exact same Greek word, is the same word we're going to see in Romans, the same word we're going to use in 2 Corinthians. We have it on the screen. I want you to see it yourself. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, Paul, writing to us, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2. Now, here it is. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, what's the word? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Same word in Romans 12 that's used of Jesus in Mark chapter 9, Matthew chapter 17. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, let's look at that verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being, what's the word? Transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, let's, let's just see that one more time. And we all, right? So that's not just two or three of you. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Like as we think about the Lord's glory, as all of us consider and contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, right? So there's this process we go through. We are being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? This is where this begins to apply to us. Jesus is transfigured externally. The Bible says that his face shone as bright as the sun. His clothes were white, so white that that no one could have bleached him like this. Jesus is transformed externally, Mark chapter 9, Matthew 17, and Luke as well. We're transformed internally. Romans chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, right? Because Romans 12 says we're transformed by the renewing of our what? Mind. There's this sense that as Jesus was transformed externally for all the world to see, we're transformed internally on the inside with our hearts and our minds. And when we do that, go back now to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. When we do that, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Right, so so think, think about this. As we renew our minds, as we're being transformed internally, we do that with ever-increasing glory Right, We change, we metamorphose or change into or transform more and more into the image of Christ. So in the way that Christ was transformed externally, we're transformed internally. And so I want you to see kind of, kind of three things that ought to be happening, right? Because we think about transforming, we think about changing, and if you're going to kind of look at your life, you ought to say something like this. Listen, I'm very different now than I was, say, two years ago. And I'm very different uh, now than I was five years ago in 10. So if you look at your life and like for the last 15 years, there's no real difference in your spiritual walk from now and 10 years ago, there's a problem. And that's between you and the Lord. And you need to figure that out. But you ought to be transforming. You ought to be changing. You ought to be growing. You ought to look more like Christ. You ought to think more like Christ. You ought to act more like Christ now more than you did two years ago and five years ago and 10 years ago and 10 years before that with ever-increasing glory. You understand? And so I'm going to give you three things based on what happened with Christ in Mark chapter 9, based on how that transfiguration, that transformation affected and and worked in the lives of the people around him. I'm going to give you three things that ought to be happening as we are transforming. 
Right? These are kind of measuring sticks for you. So as we go through these three, if you say, you know what, none of those apply to me, you need to, you need to kind of check yourself. You need to examine your heart. Here's the first thing. We have it on the screen. We should look and act differently than everyone around us. Like, as you're being transformed into the image of Christ, you ought to look and act differently than the people around you. Right? I wrote this on my notes, and I have it on the screen for you as well. Our external appearance should be shaped by our inward devotion. You understand that? Our external appearance should be shaped by our inward devotion. You should look different. Jesus glowed. That's what the Bible says. Now, you may not go to work in the morning and your face glow, but what if you glowed with joy? What about that? What if you're glowing with peace? What if you're glowing with patience? What, what if you're glowing with hope? Right on and on the list goes. When, when people look at you, do they say, you know, that, that guy... That lady, that student, uh, that kid is different. And, and maybe they can't quite put their, their finger on it. They don't know exactly what's different about you, but you ought to look different. You should kind of stand out from the crowd, right? In a world where it seems as if we do more and more and more every day to try to be like everybody else, we instead should be standing out from the crowd and be different than everybody else. Right, as we're transformed, we should look and act and think differently than the people around us. That's what the, the disciples experienced. Right, Jesus was very different in that moment than anybody else around him. Here's the second thing that ought to be happening as we're transforming. Others should be affected. Right, we should affect other people with our transformation. Like If nobody around you is being affected by your walk with Christ, you're missing something here. If nobody else in your life is being affected by what happens to you, you're, you're missing the truth. You think about how Jesus affected his disciples, how they affected other people. Why? Because they were being transformed, inward transformation. It changed the way they thought, the way they acted, the way they looked. It affected other people around them. So, so a question might be for you, like, who am I affecting in my life for change? Like, who in my life has been affected because I'm a follower of Christ? Who in my life has been affected because I'm growing in my faith? Who in my life is being affected because I'm serious about walking with Christ? I'm serious about setting aside my desires and my hopes and my thoughts, and I'm being transformed more into the image of Christ. Who's being affected around me? And then the third thing we notice as we're being transformed, it should shape our mission and our direction in life. Like The, the more you're transformed into the image of Christ the more you should desire to follow him in all things. Did you know that? Like if you say, I've never had a desire to follow Christ. I've never really had a desire to, to set my cross, I mean, set aside my desires uh, to, to pick up my cross. And I've heard that my whole life, but never really done anything about it, never really been excited about it. Maybe you're not being transformed. Maybe you're the same person you've always been. Maybe you need to open your eyes to, to Christ's mission in your life, to Christ's direction in your life. To what Christ would have you to do. Like, are you being transformed? Are you being changed? Are you looking different, acting different, thinking different? Are you living your life different? Is your direction in life changed because of who Christ is in you? One writer said it like this. He said, to be like Jesus is not just to stop committing a few obvious sins, such as lying, cheating, gossiping, thinking impure thoughts. To be like Jesus is to always seek to do the will of the Father. 
It's to come to the place where we delight to do the will of God, however sacrificial or unpleasant that may seem to us at the time, simply because it is his will. Right? Jesus was transformed. Same word is used when it discusses us. We must be transformed. We're transformed from the inside that displays itself externally, that makes a difference in the lives of the people around us. Now back to Mark chapter 9. Let's look at verse 2 again. So after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, led him up on the high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His wise clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. There appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. The transformation of Christ confirms that he is the Messiah and gives us a glimpse of the glory of God. The transfiguration, the transformation of Christ is going to confirm that he's the Messiah and it's going to give us a glimpse into the glory of the Lord. Now let's remember the context here. This is important. It's very easy for us when we read scripture just to pull a few verses or even a chapter and, and kind of take it completely out of context and not remember what's just happened and what's about to happen. But remember, this happened in the life of Christ. This, these are real events that took place. This happened in the life of Peter and James and John. These are real events that they're describing here. And the things that happened before this transfiguration and the things that happened after this transfiguration kind of clue us into what's going on. So remember, Jesus had just explained his purpose for coming. Guys, I'm going I'm to walk to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. They're going to crucify me, kill me. I'm going to die. They're going to bury me. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. If you're serious about following me, you've got to be willing to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Now, this is difficult for these disciples, right? This is a hard thing for them to hear. This is a struggle for them to understand. But Christ wants us to understand, and we kind of have to see this. Listen, in, in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of everything that I've just said to you and where I'm about to go, I'm going to display for you, I'm going to point you to this truth that I'm Messiah. Because I've already told you, you've already seen miraculous things, you've already admitted to, to, to me that you believe I'm Messiah, but I'm going to show you again, I'm going to prove to you by showing this transfiguration, showing you Moses, showing you Elijah, allowing you to hear from God the Father. I'm going to prove to you yet again that I am who I say I am, that I am truly Messiah. Now this is where it gets interesting to me. Because we have this tendency, especially modern believers, we don't understand the full history of the Jewish people we don't understand the Old Testament oftentimes. This is where it's interesting to me because Mark has done this several other times. Mark has made this connection for us to prove that Jesus is Messiah with Old Testament stuff. Remember? If you've been here through this whole series, you'll remember there's several other times when I said to you, listen, Mark is drawing this direct connection to the Old Testament and the Jewish people that heard it would have understood it. Like we, we kind of just read right past and it, we, we miss this connection. But one of the ways Mark is going to prove Jesus is Messiah is he's going to show that this man is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. And so I'm going to pull a passage of scripture up for you. I want you to see it this morning and then I'm going to connect it to Mark chapter 9. Exodus chapter 24. We've got it on the screen. Moses and the children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness 
They've been led by a pillar of fire and a, a pillar of cloud. Uh, they've been disobedient oftentimes and haven't really listened. They've been grumbling. And the Lord in Exodus chapter 24 verse 12 says to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait for me there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I've written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up onto the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Verse 15, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud, went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now I just want you to understand and I want you to begin to see, we're going to kind of piece this together, the connection between the Old Testament, Moses especially, and Jesus. So here's some connecting points. Here's some things that are similar between them. Moses goes up on the mountain, Exodus chapter 24. Jesus goes up on the mountain, Mark chapter 9. God the Father speaks to Moses through a cloud in Exodus chapter 24. God the Father speaks to Jesus and his disciples through a cloud, Mark chapter 9. Moses waited six days up on the mountain. Mark in chapter 9 is very specific to tell us in verse 2. Pull up Mark 2, 9, uh, 9 2. Pull up Mark 9, 2. After how many days? Isn't it interesting that Mark would have said six days? Why give us that? Because he's making a connection. He's making a connection to Exodus 24. Moses waited six days. Jesus waits six days. The glory of the Lord was visible on Moses. In fact, if you were to kind of fast forward to Exodus chapter 34, you may remember this, but the Bible says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Like Moses comes down and his face is literally glowing. You remember that story? Jesus, when he's transfigured on top of the mountain, his face is glowing as well. One writer said it like this. He said, all, all in all, the parables are too many and too obvious not to conclude that the kingdom of which our Lord was king and that which was spoken of in the Old Testament are very much related. Right? Mark is trying to help these people understand. Listen, what, what Moses could not accomplish in the wilderness, Jesus was able to accomplish. When Moses went up on the mountain and was sinful before the Lord, Jesus went up on the mountain and fulfilled the calling of God the Father. When Moses came down off the mountain and couldn't lead the people to the promised land, Jesus is going to come down off the mountain and he is going to lead the people where the Lord calls him to go. He's going to fulfill the calling of the Old Testament. He's going to do what Moses was unable to do. The people that would have read this in the first century, the Jewish people that would have seen this would have made this connection. It would have kind of locked again in their hearts and their minds that this Jesus who's done all these incredible things is the Messiah. He's the one promised throughout the Old Testament. Mark's building this case. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. And then we kind of see this very interesting thing there in Mark chapter seven, Mark chapter 9, verse 7. The Bible says a cloud appeared. Right? This is the first time the mention of the cloud. By the way, there's so much in here. I had this whole section on clouds, and I know that sounds probably boring to you, but it was fascinating to me. You should read about clouds in the New Testament and the Old Testament, the comparison, and how the glory of the Lord is displayed in both like the, the, the cloud led the people of Israel in the day and the pillar of fire at night when they were walking in the Old Testament. Right? The cloud came down upon the mountain and the glory of the Lord was displayed. 
Right now, Jesus is up on the mountain, and the cloud, the first time it's mentioned, the cloud descends, and from the cloud we hear the voice, all these connections. The voice comes from the cloud and says, this is my son whom I love. Now remember, when Jesus is baptized, he goes down into the water, comes back out, the dove descends, and they hear a voice from heaven, this is my son whom I love and am well pleased, right? But God changes it a little bit here now in chapter 9 of Mark. He says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Like, why would you need to listen to him and follow him? Because he's Messiah. (laughs) He's the long-awaited Christ. He's the one prophesied in the Old Testament. He's the one that has come to take away the sins of the world. This is my son. I love him. You need to listen to him. And then we see something very interesting. We kind of wind this thing down. I love what Peter says. Look at Mark 9, verse 5 again. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Right? He wants to stay. He doesn't know what to say. He's frightened. Verse 7. Then a cloud appeared, covered them. A voice came down from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Now look at verse 8. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone there with them except Jesus. Now I can just imagine. Just pause for a second, right? I can just imagine the, the celebration at that moment, the excitement at that moment, the confusion at that moment. Peter wants to hang out there on top of that mountain, and Jesus is going to do what he always does. He's mindful of the circumstances. He's mindful of the situation. He's mindful more than anything else of his calling and his purpose and his mission. In verse 9, he says, As they're coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Here's the third truth I want you to see this morning. The transfiguration of Christ reminds us that mountaintop experiences always prepare us for something more. I I love Peter's heart here, and I I, I I feel like Peter a lot of times. I'm sure some of you do too. Just excited sometimes, doesn't always quite know what to do or say, so he just does something even though it may be stupid, right? That's Peter. Peter wants to be on that mountain. I mean, can you imagine seeing the glory of Christ? Can you imagine glowing, his face is glowing? Can you imagine seeing Moses and Elijah? I mean, these are, these are Old Testament just pillars. And by the way, the connection, Moses and Elijah, not nearly enough time, but as Moses went up on the mountain, you should go read if you're interested, if this piques your interest. Go read about Moses going up on mountains in the Old Testament and hearing from the Lord. Go read about Elijah going up on mountains, Mount Carmel, prophets of Baal, the altar where the Lord, the glory of the Lord is displayed and licks up the water and all the bulls and all the things that were on that altar. And then Jesus on the mountain and the cloud and the glory of the Lord appearing. So all that swirling around in Peter's mind, this beauty, this power, this glory, Peter says, listen, Lord, I want to I hang out here. Let's just let's build some shelters. Let's build some tents. I just want to kind of stay here for a while and, and be with you. And I think that's exactly how I feel. Like, don't we all want to just experience the presence of the Lord in our lives? Isn't that the hope of every believer? Like, it should be. Don't we want to experience his glory in our lives? Don't we want to experience his power? Don't we want to see his beauty? And and there are moments in in everybody's life, mine included, I've got kind of these these touch point moments in my life, kind of these, these marks of faith. There are several of them that I can point to where God just really spoke to me, and you've probably had those kind of moments. We would call them like a mountaintop experience. Moments where I did, I did experience the power of the Lord in my life very clearly. 
or the Lord speaking to me through his word or the Lord demonstrating his, his glory or just some way in which the Lord manifested himself in my life that was very clear and very obvious and I, I wanted to stay there. I wanted to be there forever. But Jesus, I love what Jesus does in the midst of that place in the midst of that beauty and of that power, as they're coming back down off the mountain, he says, listen, remember, guys, I've still got to be crucified. I'm still going to walk to Jerusalem and willingly give my life because that's my purpose here on this earth. I I, I just want to caution you and, and, and really challenge you and maybe encourage you at the same time that as we have those moments of of power and glory as we all desire to have, and I seek to have those every day. With, that's, that's where I want to live my life. I'm reminded sometimes that I've got to walk down off that mountaintop into the valley sometimes because watch this, that, that glorification of Christ, uh, how his face is going to glow and he's going to be transfigured and all the beauty that they saw was one day Jesus, right? When he died and rose again and ascended into heaven with God the Father in full glorification, that was one day coming for Jesus. That was the plan. But watch, Jesus had to walk down off that mountain through the valley of suffering before he encountered that glory once and for all. Far too often we just want to skip that valley. We just want that glory. And we want that beauty and want that holiness and we just want to be with Christ. Can I just set a tent up here, Lord, and just live here forever? And Jesus says, you know what? I want to be with you, precious child, but you've got to walk through something first. There's this beautiful plan for you out there. And I I just feel like I'm talking to somebody this morning that needs to hear this. There's a beautiful plan for you to experience the glory of Christ somewhere out there. But you've got to walk through that valley first. You've got to experience that suffering first. And as you do it, you know that that beauty awaits you and that holiness awaits you and that that love and that hope and that joy awaits you. And as you walk through that valley, Christ is walking right there beside you. The suffering you're going through, he understands. The struggles you're experiencing, he understands. The valley of the shadow of death, he understands. And he walks hand in hand with you, if you'll let him, through that suffering to that place of glory. What's Christ going to do in your life? What place does he have you walking to? What struggles do you have to endure in the power of Christ before you get there? Because he wants to use you to do great things for his honor and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, what a a beautiful, (laughs) glorious picture. of your love for us and your willingness, Father, even in the midst of great things, to walk through difficulties, to walk through struggles. Father, Father, you, you could have, Jesus could have very easily ascended into heaven right there with Moses and with Elijah. He could have skipped everything, Father. But if he did that, he would not have accomplished the Lord's purpose for us. And so we thank you for Christ. We thank you for that struggle. We thank you for the life that he led for us, Father. And Lord, I pray for anybody in here right now that doesn't understand, has never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, let them this moment experience that hope and that joy, trusting Him in all things, Father. May they turn from whatever struggles and and sin and, and rebellion they've lived in their life, Father. May they turn to Christ. 
And Lord, for that precious believer that, that is struggling right now, walking through that valley, just be mindful. The glory of the Lord one day awaits you. The hope of the Lord one day. A picture of his majesty. A picture of his beauty is out there waiting for you. As we trust him, as we walk through the mire and the muck and the struggle and the hardships, keeping our eyes focused on Christ, on his glory, on his beauty, do great things through us, Father, and we'll praise your name for all that you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. Altar is open. An opportunity for you to pray, respond. As we sing together, you come this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.